I'm Kent Garrett. Welcome to the first episode of LNAH Daily, a shorter, more newsy derivative of our long-form The Last Negroes at Harvard podcast. There were 18 of us in the Harvard College class of 1963. In 1959, we were the largest number of blacks ever admitted to Harvard. We were born in the 1940s and are now pushing 80. So, buckle up and get ready for LNAH Daily, a bunch of black and some white, smart, highly opinionated, and Harvard-educated 80-year-olds talking about the issues and news of the day. We begin episode one with some thoughts about that Antonio Brown meltdown. I'm also joined by John Woodford. Well, being a longtime diehard Jets fan, maybe now maybe not so diehard, I was glued to the television set this past Sunday during the Tampa Buccaneers New York Jets game when the now infamous Antonio Brown meltdown happened. Brown's uh, mid-game meltdown came late in the third quarter with Tampa Bay trailing the Jets 24 to 10. Brown stripped off his pads his jersey, his gloves, and t-shirt, tossing the gloves and t-shirt into the stands, and then walked bare-chested down the sidelines and into the end zone. He then waved to the crowd as he jogged through the end zone and into the tunnel at MetLife Stadium, and he was gone. Bucks coach Bruce Aaron said he asked Brown to get into the game three times, and Brown refused. Arians allegedly then told Brown that he should not be here if he won't go into the game. A few days later, Brown claimed that he was not healthy, had an ankle injury, and of course, my hapless Jets went on to lose the game after a miraculous Tom Brady comeback. It seems to me that this whole thing is about money and performance, and Tonio Brown is a very, very good wide receiver. The Bucks, like every other NFL team, want to win the Super Bowl. One football fan wrote that the Bucks were okay with taking Brown when there were, and there still are, domestic violence charges against them. The Bucks were okay with keeping Brown when he showed a fake COVID-19 vaccine card, which presumably endangered the health of the entire football team. Brown got a suspension for that caper. And the Bucks are now not okay with what happened on Sunday. I reached out to my classmate and to football, basketball, and boxing guru John Woodford to get some insights. He could have asked to go to the medical tent or limped around or done something. I mean, stripping off his shirt and then trotting around. And of course, then he was trotting around. I guess it's an injury. Who knows? They play with various kinds of conditions and injury. That's a factor too. I mean, the whole thing is is uh, is just mighty complicated. Um, the the coach is probably one of those guys that just doesn't want to have face insubordination. Right. One of the coaches that. Uh, hey, I think like- that's what might have ticked them off. I mean, from what I've read, is that Aaron's the coach told him to get into the game three times, and and uh, on the after the third time. He told them, yeah. you don't want to get in the game. You shouldn't be out here. And that's what ticked them off. And then he, you know, got 
Uh, yeah. Antonio got, Brown got angry about that. But I mean, ultimately, isn't it this, the, the player's decision whether they want to play or not? I mean, forget all the, you know, it's, if well, I have you, a big headache. You, think so. huh? you would think so. You would right. think that it was their decision. But, um, well, it's, I think it's just like anyone with any employer. If you're going to do that, you think you would want to do it in such a way that you are going to be protected by some kind of law or policy or something, you know, that you wouldn't just uh, do what he did. Wouldn't you want to set up some evidence like limp around and say, I got to I got to go to the you know, I can't walk. I got to go to the tent and have them check my ankle. I can hardly walk or do something. But what if he had just said, listen, coach, I have a headache. I can't play. I don't yeah, want to play. Yeah, right. I mean, they're right. Yeah. How do you come down on that? Oh, God. I don't know. I think in that business, I, you know, I mean, you have your teammates and other people. You better do something that, that kind of, if you're on a team like that, they, you probably want something that the other guys are going to support you. Are you surprised that uh, Tom Brady appears to be the good guy in this thing? Or, I mean, well, you know, Brady was. I can't remember the name of the guy, but, you know, Brady was here at University of Michigan and uh, got really somewhat depressed and lo losing uh, confidence in himself. And he went to the guy who was the team. He was sort of like a counselor, mm -hmm. psychological counselor for the team. Mm -hmm. He's still around. I see him. But anyway, uh, uh, Brady credits the guy with keeping him in school and giving him a kind of mental... Uh, boost mm -hmm. to hang in there, mm -hmm. uh, keep doing, uh, you know, keep going to the practices and your chance will come and just be ready for it and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, uh, he, Greg, uh, what is, I can't remember. Anyway, he credited Greg with, with um, making him stay at Michigan. And then later, when the other guy got hurt, the, the guy who wasn't as good as he was anyway, mm -hmm. that was what was frustrating to him was that he knew, as did a lot of his teammates, that he was better than Drew Henson, the guy who was starting. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, they often say, well, to, to knock out the first stringer, you got to be, you know, X, you know, a lot better. But he, I mean, he was a lot better. The other guy couldn't, but he wasn't, you know. Lloyd Carr was a friend of Drew Henson's dad. They'd all coached together in the area. Drew Henson was right from down the road a bit, you know, uh, 10 miles away, he went to high school. So Brady had all that bubbling up. But anyway, I think Brady got an appreciation for counseling and therapy. I see. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the thing. And I think he became a believer in it and seeing that it worked for him. Mm -hmm. And I, that's why I think he encouraged Antonio Brown always to uh, get help. And, and told other people, I think he said, you know, this, this is a person who you need to kind of try to think about things from his viewpoint. He's, a, he's got his troubles. Antonio Brown was officially released yesterday. In a lengthy statement, the wide receiver revealed that he had suffered from a series of broken bones and torn ligaments in his uh, ankle that require or will require surgery. According to Brown, the Bucks coach, Bruce Ahrens, had previously uh, denied knowing that Brown was injured. Through his attorney, Brown 
has now released a statement clearing up his injury while detailing his, his perspective on what happened on Sunday. Brown wrote in his statement, quote, I took a seat on the sideline and my coach came up to me very upset and shouted, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? I told him, it's my ankle. But he knew that. It was well documented and we had discussed it. He then ordered me on the field. I said, coach, I can't. He didn't call for medical attention. Instead, he shouted at me, you're done, while he ran his finger across his throat. Coach was telling me that if I didn't play hurt, then I was done with the Bucks. Brown also added that he felt, quote, a rush of emotions and was triggered by, quote, someone telling me that I'm not allowed to feel pain. What, is it, what does it all mean? What's the big picture? What's the philosophy <laughs> behind all this stuff, if anything? I don't know. I guess in a money, uh, in a market-oriented, money-making society, Which people are... Right. People are pressured to sell whatever it is they got that they can do. Right. <laughs> See if yeah. someone else will make money, you know, make money off it. Yeah. Uh, but someone else owns, you know, this ownership structure. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be different if, uh, I wonder what it'd be different if you could have teams more like the Green Bay Packers, but like teams were owned by a community. By community. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what difference might that be? In terms of what the players feel like and how the people feel toward the players, you know, would they not be as callous? Because you know these guys like uh, Jimmy Johnson and these other big owners; these are all just, as you say, gladiators. These are just, to you know, things that they can it's use. Almost a plantation. Race horse. They, some yeah. have race horses, yeah. and uh, some have fo football, football players. players. Yeah. yeah. Remember the owner of the Cincinnati Reds, that Marge shot. Yeah, you, right. you know, I like the, these are my ends. You know, <laughs> I got these. You know, I own these, and they're they're yeah. like my, my playthings. Yeah. Well, the incident made me think of Michael Eric Dyson's new book, "Entertaining Race: Performing Blackness in America." In the introduction, Dyson writes about a 1790 slave ship and a young black teen who refused to perform for the crew with the other girls. Apparently, those performances were commonplace on slave ships. The young teen girl was whipped to death by the ship's captain. Indeed, it turned out, according to Dyson, that the young girl was sick and could not perform. It seems to me that the call to play or not to play on Sunday should have been Antonio Brown's. And that's it for this episode of LNAH Daily. I'm Kent Garrett.